Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Amen. Can we thank these guys for leading us in worship? Y'all are awesome. Thank y'all. Man, we have, uh, uh, it's such a gift. Uh, Jessica, our worship leader, is out this weekend. She plays in a, a gospel band called the Levites, and this is the first time they're playing, and I would assume well over a year. So thank you guys for leading us in worship. You guys are awesome. So good morning and welcome to The Vessel. If I don't know you, my name is Jake, and I serve as the lead pastor here. Um, and you have joined us this morning, whether you're online or here in person, in the middle of a series that we're doing called Dear Church. Um, and so we've been, this is a series, this Dear Church series is something that we're doing um, multiple times this year. And so um, it's, we, we did it right before Easter. We're coming back to it now that finishes on Memorial Day, and then we're going to have a summer series. We're thinking about uh, what it looks like to have outward ministry, and then we'll come back to it in the fall a couple more times. And so the, the spirit of this series that we're in is to really just read through letters of the New Testament, these epistles that are in the New Testament. And um, one thing I didn't know, and I've said this every week, but the, the New Testament is primarily made up of these letters to different churches um, and it's of the 26 books in the New Testament, 21 of them are letters. And so uh, our heart and the spirit is just to read through these letters and let them speak not only to uh, our hearts as individuals, but our heart as a church as well and what the Lord is saying through that. And so I want you to know, uh, it's, so the kind of the roadmap that we're on, and it's cool how the Lord works, is that um, when we chose, after coming out of Easter, as we started looking towards the summer, we started looking at uh, what we wanted to teach through. And so we chose to read through both First and Second Thessalonians between Easter and Memorial Day. And the really, it was a very, the only really spiritual reason that we did that is because there are eight chapters between the two of them and we had eight weeks. And so literally that's how I chose. I was like, this is perfect. This lines up perfect with our schedule, Memorial Day. And so that's the divinity of us reading through this letter. But as we've gotten into it, um, the way the Lord works has been really sweet is the more we've gotten into this letter, the more and more I realize that this is so similar to who we are as a church and where the vessel is as a new young church. And so I've been super encouraged as I've read that letter. And as we are praying with our worship and uh, team beforehand, before service, that's one thing Dustin prayed, is he was just like, thank you, Lord, for uh, this church in Thessalonica, there's this young and new church, and thank you, Lord, for it speaking to us as the vessel. There's this new young church plan. So there's a lot of similarities that we're going to see today. But one thing that we've been doing or that I've been doing, uh, I did it through Philippians, and, and I'll do it through this series as well, is we've been looking at letters. I've been reading different letters as kind of to give us some context of what is in a letter. Because I mentioned last week, but we have a tendency to read Scripture like we're reading a textbook or we're like we're reading a set of instructions. Like it's, it's instructions on how to put together um, like a baby crib or whatever. If you've ever put together a baby crib, you probably have PTSD from that experience. And so that is not how the Bible reads at all. The Bible reads, is, it says it's God-breathed. It's God's living word. It's what we call it a holy and living Bible. And particularly when we read these letters, there's a lot that's there. 
And so I want you to imagine and think for a second what it's like to read something, a letter that's written to you, but someone 2,000 years from now reading that letter that was written to you, or if we had a letter written to the church. And so I've read through several of those. If you remember the first week, I read a love letter that I wrote to Shay Shay, wherever she is, back in 2005 when we were engaged and we were getting married and we we're going to be apart. I also read a letter that our elders sent out to the vessel, to people of our church, uh, just uh, sharing with them what the Lord's doing and how he's providing. Uh, last week, I read a letter from my 11-year-old daughter that was a one-line thank you note that I got this fall from her. And so today, I'm going to read a letter, and it's, it's not necessarily a letter, but I'll give you a little bit of context. So this green Bible right here, is, this is the first Bible that I ever owned. And so my mom got this Bible for me in 1996. Lindsay, will you put that picture up? And she wrote in the front of my Bible. It's right here, but we took a picture so that everyone can see it. And so um, on May 12th of 1996, I received this Bible from my mother and my father. And my mom wrote in it. And she put a scripture from 1 Timothy chapter 4 um, and said this, As you know, Paul and Timothy have been on this journey together, that this letter to the church in Thessalonica is from Paul Sylvanus and Timothy. And my mom wrote this. She says, Jake, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. And that is like the standard Bible verse. If you give a kid a Bible, that's the one. That's the verse you put in there. Because it's like the one that's saying, hey, just because you're a little rascal. In 1996, gosh, I was 14. Just because I was a young 14-year-old punk didn't mean that the Lord couldn't use me. And while it's a sweet thing to look at and to have, man, this Bible changed my life. As you can see, this Bible has been well-loved. And this, like the cover, I can show you the cover of my Bible without picking up my whole Bible because it is falling to pieces. And this is like a, um, this is like a past, pastor flex or like a Christian flex. If you can Pull out your Bible that's all beat up. So I want to have some confess. This thing has been rained on three different times. So while I have read it often, and there's a lot of use into this, the love that is showing is also out of carelessness. When you give a 14-year-old a Bible and they legitimately start to read it, it's going to, been, it's going to be rained on. So three different times this Bible has been rained on. I worked as a camp counselor when I was in college. Got rained on there. I uh, did ministry in Nicaragua and left on a porch, and it got rained on there, and I can't remember the third time. But surprisingly, it dried out. The pages still flip. It doesn't have that gold kind of, you know, shiny like it used to. But this Bible changed my life. It changed my life. And, and the, the, the words that my mother put on this front cover were prophetic. Because this began for me, this journey of a relationship with Jesus Christ. This Bible changed me, it shaped me, and it introduced me to a relationship with Jesus. I grew up in the church. I knew Jesus like I knew Abraham Lincoln. I knew about him. I knew what he did. I didn't believe that Abraham Lincoln was not real. Or I didn't do what he said, just like Jesus. But I had about as much relationship with Jesus as I did Abraham Lincoln. And so I love, I still have this Bible, and I'll put a side note. If anyone knows how to repair a book and you want to do me a really sweet, kind favor and point me in that direction, I would be grateful for that. But as I flip through these pages, I look at things that I wrote years ago. I was looking through it this morning, and 
Grant, who leads our tech team. I have Grant and Lindsay, uh, who are both serving behind our board today. I had their names written down in Acts chapter 2. So that was a very first small group I did. I've got names of kids that I can't remember all of these kids in the back that either through camp or through mission trips or whatever. And I just I filled this Bible with relationship with Jesus. And so as we think about that, as we think about letters, I want you to know that letters don't only hold words and information, but they hold relationship. And while that is a funny, typical verse that you write in a Bible that you give to a 14-year-old or a 13-year-old, those words hold relationship between my mother and I. And what my mom did by writing these words and giving this to me changed my life. She got me this Bible in May of 1996, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior of June 1997. Kids, you don't have to wait 13 months. It can be instant, but it took me a little while. And so as we, as we transition, as we look at this letter to this church in Thessalonica, I want you to consider the relationship that's there between Paul, between Timothy, between Silas, and between these believers that are in Thessalonica. It's like we're opening someone else's mail. But the miraculous truth of Scripture is that Paul may have penned this, but this is inspired by the Holy Spirit, not only to speak to that church relationally then, but to speak to the church relationally now. As we, we read Scripture and we read this letter, as we're going to get into 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 today, I want you to consider your own relationship with the Lord. It might be about the amount of relationship that I had in, in May of 1996. It may be just beginning. You may not know Jesus. You may not think that he knows you. Or maybe you've been following Christ for 40 years. And it's intimate. It's real. You've been through things with the Lord. But I want us also to consider collectively as a church what our relationship with the Lord looks like. And so we're going to be reading through 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'm going to do this like I did last week if you were here. Rather than having a structured um, three-point, nice buttoned-up sermon, we're really just going to read through his word. And we're going to read through this, this chapter 2 of this letter and consider what the Lord is saying to us. So if you would, pray with me, and then we'll jump in. Dear Lord, I thank you, God, for May 12th of 1996. God, I thank you for a mother and a father that loved me, that supported me, God, that pointed me towards you. And I thank you that they put in my hand something that changed my life that saved my life, Lord. I thank you that we can stand on your word. God, that we don't have to worry about what's true or what's not. God, that we can open your living word and there's truth for our life there. God, I pray that you do that today as we read through this second chapter of 1 Thessalonians. God, would it just be foundational for us as we get into these words, as we get into these verses, God, would they be rock solid in our lives? God, when we're unsure about what's happening, what's going on in the world around us, God, will we stand firm on your word? God, speak to us now, soften our hearts, um, and we invite you into this time. We pray these things in your name, amen. So if you remember last week, as we kind of introduced 1 Thessalonians, this is, a, this is the first letter that Paul wrote 
uh, as a missionary, and he's in Corinth when he writes this letter. And his time in Thessalonica was a really short uh, time that was filled with opposition, that was filled with uncertainty. He was there, the scripture tells us he was there for three Sabbaths, which is just three weeks long. And then an angry mob rose up and they ran him out of town and he fled. And so we learn in chapter three that uh, in verse six, it says, but Timothy has just now come to us from, from you and has brought good news about your faith and your love. Paul is in Corinth. He is healing, to be honest. Paul has been a bumpy, rough journey through Philippi, through Thessalonica, to Berea and Athens. Uh, he's been run out of town. He's been thrown into prison. He's fled for his life. And Scripture tells us in, first, in 2 Corinthians that when he arrives in Corinth, he's weary and weak and full of fear and trembling. And that's where he arrives. But he sends Timothy to go check on this church in Thessalonica. So I want you to consider for a minute, what do you think as he, as he sent Timothy out, what do you think his expectations were for this church in Thessalonica? What do you think he, he thought happened there? I mean, what he remembers is fleeing in the night with an angry mob. And so I think that for him, there's a lot of uncertainty with his expectations of what's happened there. But Timothy comes back and reports to Paul that this thriving church that's on fire for Jesus Christ, that's turned away from idols, that's faced a lot of person persecution and um, turmoil is thriving and is growing and is spreading like wildfire. And so he pins this letter to them. So in chapter two, he says this. He says, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. Your scripture, your version may say was not in vain. Paul can confidently say that his time there in Thessalonica was not in vain because Timothy has just reported to him about the health of this church. But it was not without results. Verse two says, we have previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. And we see this church in Thessalonica is planted in the soil of opposition. The ground and the seed that was laid there in these three short weeks was a place not, of, not necessarily of health, not of ease, not of comfort, but it was planted, the church was planted in the soil of opposition. And a, a church sprung up in the face of great adversity. I mean, to the point that, that the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ angered these people in Thessalonica. And the truth is, is there's something about opposition, there's something about persecution and conflict that makes fertile soil for relationship with Jesus Christ. And we in our flesh, we run to comfort. We run to ease. We want our lives to be easy. We want it to be calm. We want the waters to be smooth. We want our expectations to go exactly as we've planned but we see here that this healthy, young, thriving church is planted in a place of opposition. Verse two says, with the help of our God, we dare to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. When we think about the vessel and we think about this letter in the context of speaking to us as this church, we relate if you guys were here as we came out of ACF, it was in the face of a lot of turmoil, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of opposition. 
and we planted in this same spirit, in the, in the soil of opposition, the, of the soil of adversity. And I want you to remember that season if you were here that we went through. And if you weren't a part of the vessel during that time, it was a really sweet unifying season that we came together as a body of Christ and we asked the hard questions is that you think about these things and you consider things hypothetical, right? You're at church. I'm saying things to you. You're thinking about them. You're thinking about your own life and you're having all these, all these considerations in your head hypothetically, right? You're thinking about whatever adversity there is in your own life, whatever struggles may be going on, how your faith might grow, how this verse might be speaking to you. And you're having all these hypothetical thoughts in your head. But the truth is, is that when you really get down to it, when the rubber hits the road and you face significant adversity, you, you face significant difficult times, then you know, and those hypothetical considerations become very real. And it's a bit of putting your money where your mouth is and finding out if it's real. But we see this church that gets planted in this place. If you consider for a minute where the, the Christian church is growing the fastest, actually for a minute, let's, let's think about where the Christian church is shrinking the fastest. Now, I don't statistically know, but I would argue that we live in that place. Is it for the first time in however many years Church attendance is less than 50% of the people in our country go to church. And we live in Austin, Texas. And I would argue that it's much less than that. Is that the church in the United States of America, the land of the free, the home of the brave, is shrinking. And, and then consider where the church is growing the most rapidly and the most healthy and is spreading like wildfire. And it's in China. The Christian church in China is growing like crazy. And China faces a ton of opposition. The official religion of China is atheism. It is no religion. It is a belief that there is no God, that there is no creator, that there is no afterlife, that there is no purpose, that everything we're doing is happenstance. That's their official stance. And of the 10 hardest places to be a Christian, I read a study this week, the 10 hardest places to be a Christian, China is within the top 10. And, and Christianity is growing now like wildfire. Why? Because of opposition, because of adversity, because they're finding out truly what they're made of. They're putting their faith to the test. And this church in Thessalonica is no different. They're growing up in this time. And I think about what the Lord is doing in and through that and the church in China, and, and the church around the globe, and the community that we live in, where less and less people feel a need for church. One thing I've noticed through, and what's shown me is through COVID and through this pandemic, is that there are people that are participating in the body of Christ, and this isn't exclusive or exclusive to the vessel. This is, this is the church in general in our community, is that there are people that were participating in the body of Christ before COVID, COVID hits, pandemic, world is shut down, and nothing in their life has changed. It hasn't gotten harder. They haven't suffered. They haven't struggled. That nothing in their life has changed. And so they ask themselves when the church opens back up and they could go and gather again, why go to church? If nothing changed in my life, what's the need for church? So people have not come back and still have the, the, the reason to not come back. And many people are participating through church at home. 
and making ways even in the face of a pandemic. But there are other people that have just let go of it completely and their life hasn't changed. Isaiah 55 says this, it says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that yield seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So as my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty or void, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I was sent. And I think about this church in Thessalonica, these three short weeks that Paul was there, that seed was planted in the soil of opposition. And it's, the purpose that God put Paul there was accomplished. And I can promise you that when Paul left Thessalonica, he did not feel good about what happened. He did not feel confident in what the Lord did during his time. He had been on this journey that was really difficult and where by all measures of man, he was a failure and didn't have success but he finds out that this church has sprung up. Thessalonica was on this major highway. It was, a, it was an area that many people passed through. Greek gods were worshiped there. There was intellectualism. There are philosophers that lived in this area. And, and yet in the face of that, the church sprung up in that location. When I went to, I went to University of Texas and um, right near campus, uh, as you're walking down the drag, there's the Church of Scientology. And my freshman year at UT, I dated this girl. And as she's walking in, she's a freshman at Texas, the Church of Scientology, they're out there and they're waiting. And man, they get her, hook, line, and sinker. And within 36 hours, her dad is on their phone with their credit card company trying to get him to cancel their card because she's giving up information. And he's calling and getting a lawyer to get her out of this cult of Scientology. 36 hours. Here's a freshman that walks into this place and they wait and they look. And you know, if you've ever been on campus, Joseph Ho does ministry on college campuses. If anyone is a freshman, no, we don't have any college freshmen in here. You stand out like a sore thumb, right? You think you're in, you got your backpack, it's brand new. You know, they see you coming a mile away. And the Church of Scientology, they pounce on you and they try to get you in and try to sink their claws into you. And that's a lot like Thessalonica. But Paul says that as they came, their word didn't come in that way. Verse three says, for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never use flattery, nor do we put on masks to cover up greed. God as our witness. And you think about they're facing this time where there's so many people vying for their attention and they're fighting for their focus and their wallet and what they're gonna give their lives to. And then there's no different than what we're doing today. Is there's so much as we go through our lives that literally your attention is monetized. The attention that you give through social media, through television, through whatever you're watching, through your phone, there, there's a dollar amount that's tied to your name and they sell that to people to fight for your attention. And this church in Thessalonica was no different. They're getting all these things just like this girl on this college campus. But he says, for the appeal that we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. Is that there was a lot of false teaching during that time. And I would argue that there's a lot of false teaching now. You look at culture and you look at what is out there and what is deemed as hate or what is deemed as appropriate 
or what is deemed as acceptable and righteous. And we've got things so twisted up that there's so much false truth out there. And the same is true about this church here in Thessalonica. Verse four, says, on the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. So Paul says the word that we share is not our own word, that we've got no agenda, we've got no false motives. We are not trying to please man, but we're trying to please God. And that's one reason this speaking and teaching through the book of Thessalonians is a gift to us at the vessel is I wanna encourage you to get into the word of God and let it speak to you. Even what I say right here, right now, don't take my word for it. Go and look at the scriptures and allow the Lord to speak to you. There's, I had a great pastor one time uh, that told me that we don't filter his word through the context of our world, but we, figure, we filter the context of our world through the filter of the Bible. And man, we get that backwards sometimes. And there's so much of that out there, even within the church, is that we have such a desire to become mainstream, such a desire to be culturally relevant that we sacrifice truths on behalf of that. But Paul says, we're not trying to please men, but we're trying to please God. Verse five says, you know that we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. The water down, your best life now, God wants it to be easy and happy and for you to make money and to be successful is not true. Man, you don't have to read far in scripture to understand what we talked about last week, man, that we, our love is through labor, labor and toil and hardship that we will face adversity. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble, but take heart for I've overcome the world. That's a promise of Jesus Christ. People want to pray promises like, oh, God promises all this thing. He promises trouble. He promises it's going to be difficult in your life. And so this idea of, man, if you just follow Jesus, everything is going to be fine and hunky-dory. You're going to be happy. You're not going to struggle. You're not going to have anxiety. You're not going to lose your job. Is not true. And we paint this picture of this false faith, faith here in our country. But man, I'm telling you, you go to Africa, you go to Haiti, you go to Nicaragua and preach that message. Preach, preach a message that God just wants you to be rich and successful and happy and easy because life there is not that way. He says that they use masks to cover up greed. How do you know something is hidden? Right, because it can't be seen. If I, this, this morning, as we got here, as we began setting up for the vessel, uh, we had our Lilo team that was working hard in here, putting out the chairs and the pipe and drape. And uh, we had our tech team and our worship team, and they're setting up, and Deuce was setting his drums up. And so our kids were running around, and they wanted to play sardines. So I chose to play sardines with the kids rather than helping with load in and load out. So forgive me for that. So we played sardines. So we, there was a dispute over who would go first. So I hid a number behind my back. I said, one or two. What number am I holding up? One or two? Two, you're right. Maybe you could see it, right? And I held it up behind my bed. I kept it hidden, right? I kept it out of the light. And there's so much of that in the world that we, we tell this gospel and this message, this is half truth, that we, we want to keep the hard things hidden. He says, we didn't use flattery. We never use flattery. 
This is a trick of a salesman. A salesman uses flattery. It's the guy that comes to your house. Has your house ever been, has someone ever come to your home and asked you to be a model home for windows? Anyone? Yes, they came to my house and they want me to be a model home. They knock on my door and say, we're selling windows. And I want you to know, we looked around the neighborhood and we chose your house because your yard and your house and your home is so beautiful and that we want you to be our model home. We're gonna give a discount so that people can see how wonderful our windows are. We're gonna give you a discount, it's model home. I'm like, you're a liar. My yard is trash. We've got scooters and bikes all over the place. The we, the, I have these bushes that are out of control. Not anymore. Thank you, Snowvid. They're dead. That are all out of control. He's like, we want your house to be the model home. I'm like, really? I'm like, I am flattered. But Paul says, we didn't use that trick. A seed of this church is planted in the soil of opposition and it thrives. I want you to consider again this Bible and the time it was given to me in my life. Man, I was a teenager. I was, like any teenager, struggling to find out who I was, what the purpose of my life is, what the value that I had in this world, who I was. And man, this was planted in me. It's such a pivotal time. So Paul tells them and shows them that, that this opposition we desire comfort, but the health of this soil. And so Paul shifts in verse six towards the maturity of their faith. And I love this. Starting in verse six, he says, we were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though the apostle, as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our own authority. Instead, verse seven, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we care for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. Our toil and hardship. Um, am I ahead of you, Lindsay? Okay, good. Uh, for you know that when we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you in his kingdom and in his glory. And I love, he gives this image of a mother, a nursing mother caring for her child. And it's a place that every one of us begins our faith. That as Paul, I mean, as Jesus uh, meets with Nicodemus and Jesus tells Nicodemus, he's gotta be born again and be this newborn life. Uh, a few weeks ago, Shay and I went on a trip to Hawaii where my niece and uh, my, my nephew and my sister-in-law and brother-in-law live. And so my, my nephew wanted to be baptized. And so he accepted Christ. He wanted me to baptize him. So as we were getting ready to baptism, we talked about, I talked to him about new life. And I said, you know, Vander, I said, like when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are, scripture says we're born again. He goes, born again? He said, how can you go back and be born again? I said, that's exactly what Nicodemus asked. It's the very same question. And this, this scripture here gives this beautiful image of a mother caring for a newborn. And I want you to remember this church in Thessalonians, in Thessalonica, this is a young church. They're brand new baby believers, brand new in their faith. And Paul's encouraging them, says, just like we as children, for we know that, no, that's uh, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. So we cared for you. And so I want you to consider for a moment where your faith is. I think if you consider the context of your faith as a life, where it is. I want to ask you the question, what are you doing to nurture your faith right now? 
What are you doing to nurture your faith? And a lot of times, I think as Christians, we can be too hard on ourselves. We can focus on the things that we're not doing. We can focus on the sin that we're still struggling with. And we take these bad parts and we create mountains out of them. And we're fighting. But a lot of times we don't realize the good and the healthy places that we are. And that our faith is being nurtured. Last night I had this dream about, uh, I had this strange dream that I walked into my kitchen and there's a bird cage. I haven't even told you about this. There's this bird cage over our kitchen sink. And there were these birds in this birdcage. And so I looked at them and there were like six birds in there. And there were different types of birds and they were unhealthy birds. They were, one was like falling off the perch. Like his, he was hanging on by his wing. There's one in the bottom that I thought might be dead. They're losing feathers and there are these really unhealthy birds. I thought, oh man, oh man, I need to care for these birds. And so I looked and there was bird food, like bird food on the counter bird seed on the counter. And I remember thinking, what do I do? Do I just give it to them? And so I start, in my dream, I start Googling how to care for a bird is these birds were malnourished. I think a lot of times we don't consider our faith in that same context. As we don't look at where, how am I nurturing my faith? Who is it in my life? Paul says that, he says, we nurtured you as a mother nurses a child. And who is it and where are you with your faith? And are you considering that a place that is being nurtured? And Paul looks at this church in Thessalonica and this is an encouraging letter. You're gonna see here that he, there's not a lot of theology here. Like compared to like you get into Romans or some of the other letters that Paul wrote, there's not a lot of theology. This is a letter of encouragement. This is a letter that Paul is saying, hey, you're doing wonderful. I see the work that the Lord's happening in you. And he talks about their faith and their maturing of their faith. And so, you know, Shay and I have a, we have a garden at home. And so in our garden, you plant, like either you plant a seed or you plant a, a seedling. Is that the right term? Like, you know, you buy at the store for $2. So you plant a seedling and, and you have to wait for it to produce a fruit. You've got to nurture this plant right? You've put it in the ground. You've got to water it. You've got to fertilize it. You've got to nurture this plant before it can produce fruit. Does anybody have a garden? Just me? No one has a garden? Thank you, Alyssa and Colin. Dustin, you don't have a garden. That's not true. That doesn't count. Do y'all have a, did you, did y'all put strawberries in your garden? No. Okay. So if you put strawberries in your garden, we have strawberries in our, one thing you put strawberries in your garden the first year, it, the first season, it will not produce a crop. Even you put them, it'll bloom. It may grow one or two strawberries, but they'll be itty bitty and they won't taste very good. But you have to wait. And as it goes, and you gotta help you, you gotta get your strawberries. You're gonna get strawberries. You're gonna survive them through the summer. And then the fall, they're gonna produce a crop. Because in the spring, what they're doing is they're putting down roots. They're laying out runners. It's getting to be a healthy plant. And the Paul's sounding the same here. Is that this church is growing. And so I want you to consider this, this last thing Paul says is he says, not only, um, he says, remember brothers and sisters, your toil and hardship. We work day and night only not to be a burden to you when we preach the gospel, but you're witnesses. And so is God of how holy and righteous and blameless we are among you. And so Paul begins to encourage them in their faith and tell them that they're maturing. Verse nine, he says, uh, remember our toils and hardship for we're day and night not to be unburdened to anyone that we preach the gospel of God to you. 
And uh, last week we talked about in First Thessalonians chapter one, he talks about this labor of love and how this is hard work and how they're laboring through toil and trouble. My son Barrett is in kindergarten right now. And as, he, as he's in kindergarten, he's growing. This year has been a labor of love with us and Barrett as he's gotten into school and he's had to start learning and it's been hard. And so we've come and walked alongside him in that, in that place. Um, he's taken Taekwondo. And so his Taekwondo master, Master CJ, tells him, he says, you've got to have eye focus, body focus, and mind focus. And so we just latched onto that, like, you know, Shay and I. So anytime he's misbehaving or not doing right, like eye focus, body focus, mind focus. And it's been helpful. But it's a labor of love with children. And Paul's saying the same thing here. In verse 11, he says, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of the gospel who calls you into his kingdom and glory. As it gives this image, image of a nursing mother and about caring for them, intended them like a mother cares for a nursing child. And then he shifts and he says, and we, we also treated you and, and dealt with you as a father deals with his own children. And that word deals feels harsh. It almost feels punitive, but that's where we are with Barrett right now. He's growing up, he's in kindergarten. We're helping him understand how to act, how to behave, what's right. And in verse 12, he says three things, encouraging, comforting, and urging you. This first word of encourage literally means to call or to come to one side. So Paul's saying, he said, we came to your side. We came up beside you. It's the same words that scripture uses as the Holy Spirit. When we accept Christ and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and it comes to our side to guide us. It's the same idea as a father coming alongside his son or a parent coming alongside their child right next to them to help them forward. And that's what we're doing with Barrett right now. It says comforting. Translates to, to speak or to dress someone by way of admonition. Now this is a, this is a feminine word and is, is typically associated with how a mother would comfort a child. Like if a child stubs their toe and they run in. Last night, Barrett and I were watching White Fang on Netflix, if you have kids. It's got some really sad parts. And right out of the gate, Barrett's like, you know, White Fang, he's in this fight and his mother, I won't store what. Uh, spoil white thing for you. But Barrett is like crying. I mean, he is so emotionally moved. And so I comfort him. And I'm a good comforter. I'm a person of affection. And so it says this word is the same word that's used in John 11 when Mary and Martha were comforted by others. It's, it's in a moment of death and in a complete sorrow where you come along, you don't say, well, it's gonna be okay. You're gonna be fine. No big deal. It's to console them, to comfort them. So imagine first a, a fatherly figure coming up beside, comforting this young child. And then it says, but it doesn't stop there. It says, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Urging means to appeal or to implore them on behalf of God. And he says that he urges them to live a life worthy of God and live a life worthy of your calling. And that's what, that's what he's saying here is that we came alongside you. We told you the truth about scripture. We planted this seed in opposition and you've grown up and we've come alongside you and we've, we've urged you on. We've comforted you in your opposition. And we've urged you forward in your faith. And this is a church that was planted in opposition that's matured through perseverance. 
as I said, there was a lot of people going against this. There was a lot of people that were fighting, an angry mob that rose up and opposed this church. But the truth is, is I, and I read this um, this week through Vernon McGee. He's a pastor that was out in California and he's passed away, but I listen to him uh, pretty much weekly. He says that too often, he says this, he says, we want a mild-mannered preacher talking to, to a group of mild-mannered Christians and urging them to live lives that are mild-mannered. And I want you to know that your faith is wild. Your faith is not to be in an incubator or a greenhouse. That for your faith to grow, it's in the face of opposition. It grows through perseverance. That perseverance spurs us on towards legitimate relationship with Jesus Christ. So as we think back about my Bible again in this time that my mom gave me this Bible, is that she gave it and she planted it in the soil of opposition, a time in my life that was really hard. And, and, and this came alongside me and I began to read the words of the scripture and I began to mature in my faith and persevere. And my mom last week, she, was, she said she was talking to someone about her son being a pastor. And if you know me, I never thought I was gonna be a pastor, nor did my mom. And she said, I told them, man, I should have been a better mother. She's like, I, I wish I would have known. If I'd have known you'd have been a pastor, I would have been a better Christian mom and I would have not done all these things wrong. And I wish I would have known. If I'd have known, I would have behaved differently. But the truth is, is that my parents were real, right? They didn't try to raise me in some incubated Christian bubble so that my faith wouldn't be affected or misused or damaged. But it was because my family was real. And I've reflected on that after my mom said that. And man, part of the reason that God has called me into this and shaped me into who I was was because my parents didn't put me in some box, in some bubble for my faith to be incubated. He closes with this, verse 13. He says, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from, the Jews. So the scripture tells us that you know a tree by its what? By its fruit. In our garden, we have four different pepper plants. And I planted them and I put the little tags in so I knew which pepper was which. And since then, the dog's gotten in there. We've had to redo other things and all four of those tags are gone. So I don't know which pepper plant is which as they're growing. But I'm going to find out, right? When they bear fruit, when it bears a harvest, I can taste and I can eat and I can find out which is which. And Paul is saying, he says, you're bearing fruit. He says, you accepted human word, not as it actually is, but as the word of God, the seed that was planted in opposition. He says, we thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, in three short weeks, they came and they told him the truth about Jesus Christ. There were no flattery. There were no ulterior motives. It wasn't masked and hidden by greed. They planted the seed. Then the seed took root and grew and began to mature. 
He says, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. That Timothy has returned with this good news, that what their expectations were this church, where they planted that seed, and is it gonna survive or is it gonna die? And he didn't know. And Timothy brought back and said, and to be sure, the word is growing in them. And then it began to bear fruit for a kingdom harvest. Verse 14 says, for you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffer from your own people the same thing those churches suffered from, from the Jews. That Paul examines them. He says, indeed, I see you as being a fruitful and a kingdom church, becoming imitators, walking through the same thing that they walked through before is that you've walked through opposition, you've walked through hard times, and you've began to grow and you've began to flourish. So as we close, I wanted you to consider three things. And I want us to go back to verse 11. Lindsay, if you could put it up. And this idea of a father dealing with a child. And it has to go with what Dustin said up front as we sang that, that song, Gardens in the Graves. He says, I want you to take whatever it is and to put it up against God, to put it up there, and to test it and to offer it to the Lord based off his truth. Verse 11 says, for you know that we dealt with you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom. So first I wanna encourage you. I wanna come alongside you. I wanna encourage you in the world and the circumstances that we live in. The world is changing fast. And, and the Kalinas and I were talking about, like we have this desire before service, we have this desire for it to go back to what it was, but it's not, it's not. If you're waiting for it to return to what it was before, it's not. And now more than ever before in my 38 year old lifetime, man, the world has changed and it changed fast. And Christianity and following Jesus is not what it was five, 10, 15 years ago, that the idea of being a Christian is no longer something that's admirable or righteous or honored. And I wanna come alongside you and just encourage you of that, of where you are in your walk, where you are with Jesus, what your relationship with him looks like. And I wanna comfort you. The road has become harder. The road has become more narrow. And I want to offer you and encourage you to offer yourself grace as it is not easy as it was years ago. And the road ahead is not easy. And I'm not so dramatic to, to, to suggest that we're gonna be persecuted like a church in China or whatever, but I'm not saying that we're not. Man, but we don't know what the future holds, but it's not what it was. So we as a church, what Paul's encouraging them, what I wanna encourage you is that you move forward in this to realize it's a difficult road and there has been loss. And finally, I wanna urge you to live a life worthy of God, to live, live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. If you would stand, I'm gonna pray for us as we go. Thank you for joining us this morning for our service. We are publishing content throughout the week for Church at Home through our social media and website. For more information, visit www.vessel.church.